This is the On the Banks podcast, presented by SB Nation. Welcome to the On the Banks podcast, brought to you by SB Nation. I'm your host, Greg Petuto, and we are one week closer to college football kicking off around the nation. And as football fans, it's an exciting time. The weather starts to get cooler, and I know some are focused on the NFL returning. Rutgers fans obviously have to wait another week for their Scarlet Knights to kick off, but I'm just excited to have football back in some capacity on Saturday. Seven or eight games over the course of the entire day, including the West Coast out in Hawaii, I believe. It's just an exciting time to have football back, meaningful football back. Those of you who like the NFL preseason and follow training camp have been in football mode for about a month now with games beginning last week, but Having football back, that means something is special, and it's an exciting time. We're going to go over the Rutgers schedule, break down what to expect game by game, um, as I'm joined by Brian Fonseca a little later in the show. Um, Brian Fonseca, the Rutgers beat writer for NJ Advanced Media, great interview with him as we discuss the possibilities and journey the path that Rutgers could have two six wins and potentially another bowl game in 2022 but we begin with the official news the big 10 has a new media agreement all the reports were right cbs and nbc will be joining fox and the big 10 network all that good stuff showcasing big 10 athletics primarily football and the numbers are astronomical and you can see what the addition of usc and ucla has done already this agreement will begin in 2023, of course, when the two new schools join, bringing the number in the conference to 16. It's over a billion dollars a year annually, closer to 1.2, so around $7 million over the duration of the contract through 2030. All 16 schools are projected to get, I'd say, around $75 million. That's the number I saw. I've seen others say closer to 80 but the fact is that's an astronomical amount of money that's a huge jump from what they were getting over the previous fiscal year which was around 54 million and i've said this before i'll highlight ruckers for now ruckers got into the big 10 at the perfect time if you look at where they were compared to where they are now eight years later it was just 2014 comes around ruckers joins the big 10 there's a couple down years and now Rutgers is back to competing in all sports. And, of course, football is king, no matter what. It's the NFL, it's college, universities. Football is king. Football is the moneymaker. And Rutgers football has been down. But that does not mean that this program does not belong in the Big Ten when you look at men's basketball taking huge steps. They're a national program now. Baseball, obviously, what they did last season. Women's soccer, field hockey, winning Big Ten titles. This is across the board there's more that i'm not even mentioning this is a school that's been competing in athletics in the big 10 and will continue to only get better so of course football has struggled greg shiano took over the program when they were at an all-time low being considered one of the worst teams in the nation and he brought them back a little bit this is a team that's now competitive has a chance to fight for bowl games um, despite a tough schedule this season again we'll get more into that but looking at the media deal now you have the dream of watching Big Ten football 
across all platforms. NBC will now have an intriguing setup over the course of the weekend with Notre Dame remaining in its 2.30 slot. It will have a Big Ten game prime time at 7.30. And then, of course, into Sunday night football um, once a full slate beginning at 1 p.m. is done every Sunday. And they're going to switch off for Big Ten championship games with Fox holding four over the next eight years. So there's a lot to be excited about. The money, and it's only going to get bigger, this money that the Big Ten is making. Kevin Warren discussed expanding further during Big Ten media days. And while there might not be plans, detailed plans, I should say, there are plans to expand. It's very likely that over the coming years, the Big Ten gets to 20 teams. So who those four members are going to be, where they're going to come from, how they're going to get there, and when, that's all stuff that needs to be ironed out. But it's fair to say that the Big Ten will have 20 members eventually. And he even mentioned paying the players. That's another that's another headache, another uh, hurdle they would have to figure out and, and all that. But it is likely that the Big Ten does get to 20 teams at some point and just makes more money for the schools, more money in these media deals, building on what already is a record-breaking deal with the uh, conference set to make over a billion dollars annually, which is just crazy to think about where the state of college athletics is and where it's going. Some people might not like this because it breaks up the traditionalist sense of conferences. And, you know, you mentioned the Pac-12, obviously, with UCLA and USC leaving. What's the Pac-12 going to be like? Will they be able to get more schools? Will this kind of be like a four, four big conference setup in college football? Either way, you just got to roll with the punches. Sports, whether professional or college, are changing. They're adapting. It's all about money, as we've seen, especially with the NCAA. And fans just have to just learn to enjoy. Some rivalries will go away, but some will be created. So the, the excitement will still be there. People are still going to watch. And people are still going to get excited when the time of year comes around, as I and many others around the country are with football beginning on Saturday. And... Again, that's just another exciting time. This is the time for the final getaways. I'm currently filming this on a on a Friday, you know, re- releasing it on Tuesday, but filming on Friday, preparing for a trip myself, one final getaway before the fall begins. And I hope that all of you had a chance to do that as well before we completely shut ourselves down for fall weekends, depending on your fanhood, of course. Me, I... I venture into high school football as well, so really Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm all locked up in the fall until football season ends, but it's a great life. There's nothing better out there than to watch football, to talk football, to be able to be around the game and just get that time of year back where you can enjoy it, enjoy the uh, nice weather, cool down a little bit. Basketball begins right in the mist and then right into the holiday season, so this is a great time of year and there's many things to be excited about, not just within Rutgers sports, but around the nation as a whole as football begins to return. As we wait for football to kick off, there are some teams around Rutgers that have started their season. Of course, field hockey, men's soccer are preparing to get going. But the women's soccer team, which is expected to be one of the best teams in the nation, is in New Mexico for two games that they played over the weekend Again, I'm filming this on Friday, so I will not have the results of the UNLV game, which will be played on Saturday. We'll get into that a little bit next week, recapping that along with the home opener. But the season began on Thursday night with a 1-0 win over New Mexico. And 
that's an impressive win for Rutgers. You know, despite their potential, despite their ranking, it's always nice to get a hard fall win against another talented team. And New Mexico is a team out west that is expected to be contenders in their conference, if not win the conference outright. So be able to pick up a victory over them, hold them to a shutout. Um, it's really impressive. That was a, a physical game, a tough game to open the season for Rutgers, who is ranked six nationally and number one in the Big Ten after going 10-0 and last season in the conference. They're expected to make some more noise because of some key returners that they have back. Um, of course, Riley Tiernan being named to the Herman Award watch list as one of the national players to watch has a chance to really solidify herself as not only in the Big Ten, but one of the best players in the nation. She had the assist that one of part of the assist that um, scored the only goal. Allison Lowry scored the goal, and it was assisted by Tiernan and Sarah Brocious. Really, it, it happened midway through the first half, so the fact that Rutgers were able to hold off New Mexico showed their defense. And, of course, Megan McClelland in the goal, another shutout. That's her 37th of her career, and that was a historical game for McClelland, who moves into the active leader, um, NCAA leader in shutouts with her 37th of her career. So just the key players for Rutgers on the soccer field gives them an edge. And it'll be interesting to see as the season goes on just how they get better. This is a team already that has a lot of chemistry. They obviously have experience playing together. They're tough. They're physical. And most importantly, they've been there. They went through the perfect regular season in the conference. They won the outright Big Ten title. They made a run to the Final Four at the national level, and that's all reachable, attainable goals this season as well for women's soccer. So it was an impressive opening victory, and all the stars were out for Rutgers. And again, this is being taped on Friday, so we're going to get into the second game and beyond for women's soccer next week. But it was nice to touch on, you know, the season opener. And it's a tough, you know, tough assignment too, having to go across the country like I said, play a talented team in New Mexico and being able to pick up a one nothing victory. It showed a lot of facets of what this team is able to do and should be able to do over the course of the season. With the season kicking off this early, again, it gives players time to get their feet wet once again. But that's where the experience comes into play. That's where the leadership comes into play. And again, the chemistry with this team returning, you know, nine starters from last season, nine uh, all big all Big Ten uh, selections nonetheless. So it's a talented team. It's an experienced team. And it's one with high expectations once again for the 2022 season. Fellow Big Ten champion field hockey will also be in action over the weekend, getting their season started as they host the Battle of the Banks when Duke and St. Joe's come to New Brunswick for some games. Field hockey will open the season on Friday with a matchup against Duke and then take on St. Joe's on Sunday. Obviously, those two teams will play on Saturday. That will be Rutgers' off day. And this is, uh, I wouldn't say a transition year for Rutgers. When you win the Big Ten tournament, you're going to come back and you're going to be a threat the next year. People are going to, you know, they know who you are, that you're going to be one of the favorites to win. But replacing a player like Gianna Glotz is, you know, really difficult. Somebody who's been the backbone of field hockey at Rutgers as you know, when you look at a three-time All-American, four-time first-team All-Big Ten, 
first team all region, Big Ten co-player of the year. She's got all of the accolades that put her up there as one of the best field hockey players in Rutgers history. And that's never easy to replace. But that's not saying that it has to be a simple swap when you look at Glotz leaving and, you know, someone else coming in to take her position. It's not going to be an easy swap, but it'll be up to the returning talent for Rutgers to kind of take over and step into those leadership roles. And you look at Lucy Bannetton as a sophomore, you know, second on the team in points in her first year, eight goals, which was tied for the most on the team. There's some talent on this Rutgers team, and it's going to be a new group that is going to have to take over the leadership. But a lot will be shown this weekend against two tough teams. Um, It's a good way to get their feet wet before conference play. That's what these non-conference games are supposed to do to see how you match up nationally against some of the other top teams. And of course in the big 10 Rutgers is going to be a threat after what they did last year. So that season will also kick off over the weekend. We'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll get to Brian Fonseca. I now welcome on Brian Fonseca. Rutgers beat writer for NJ Advanced Media. Brian, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, of course, man. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Now, we've had a schedule for months now for the upcoming football season. The big question, of course, everyone's going to be discussing is, can Rutgers get to that six-win mark to find themselves in a bowl game for the second straight year? Obviously, 5-7 and seven last year, getting into that um, New Year's Eve bowl once Texas A&M dropped out. So we're going to dive into the schedule a bit here, but the not-so-simple question for you that I want to start with is, do you have a path to six wins for this Rutgers team? There is always a path, right? If you're the most optimistic person on earth, I would say, look, you have this schedule on paper. It's a really difficult schedule. I think it's top 15, according to ESPN's FPI, that kind of tracks with the teams that are on here. I would. It's very, very, very hard to find six wins in here for Rutgers. Um, that could change. That perception could change how well they play against Boston College. You know, the first game could change perception. But really, I mean, I really have a tough time finding six wins here. And, you know, I want to start with the non-conference games. I have this schedule kind of broken down into three tiers if you really look at it. Um, starting with the non-conference, obviously Rutgers started out 3-0 and in those games last year. And a little tougher opponent to begin the season with Boston College. Um that kind of seems like a game that everybody's talking about as a big one if Rutgers wants to get to that six-win mark. And it's it's been a, a close battle so far. The, the spread, I believe, is within a touchdown um, for Rutgers and Boston College. So going into this game, is this a good time to catch Boston College, you know, a team that's getting their quarterback back? Is this kind of when you want to play them before they get going? I think it's a good spot in that their offensive line is really in a state of flux. They're replacing all five starters. They had an all-American level kid in Christian Mahogany, a kid who Rutgers recruited back in the day out of Prem as Catholic. He uh, tore his knee, a, a ligament in his knee, and he's out for the year. So they're replacing the entire line, and you know you ha- they have no time to gel. It's their first action together in, in a game. So and you give Rutgers defensive line as a strength of that team, give them a chance to kind of really go at them. I think from that perspective, it's good. I think from the other perspective, you're kind of figuring out your own offensive line if you're Rutgers, right? This is. A lot, a lot of new faces on the revamp line. You know, a lot of young guys playing. This roster is really young. Greg Shannon has said that a lot throughout the offseason. So, you know, a lot of guys are getting thrusted into bigger roles. A lot of guys are playing for the first time. How will they adapt? You can really spin it either way. I think, um, you know, it wouldn't really make a difference if they play them first versus third game of the season. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a good spot in that, in one way, in a not an intangible way in that it gives them something to look forward to 
the entire offseason. That's the first game of the year. It's something that you have constantly on your mind. All the off-field stuff, too, with Halfley and a lot of our former Rutgers guys on that uh, sideline as well. Just a lot of juice to start the season, I think. And then you kind of get two easier games to ease your way into the Big Ten. So I would say it's, I'd say it's a good spot. And obviously pressuring the quarterback is a key in any game, but Rutgers is starting out with a good one too with Phil Jerkovic back for Boston College. And you mentioned the offensive line for Boston College against the defensive line of Rutgers that has a chance to be a strength. You know, Greg Shiano's talked about depth at that position. Just how important, um, like you mentioned, talk a little more about that, is that battle, especially putting pressure on Jerkovic, who could have Boston College at the end of the season, you know, potentially a top 25, top 30 team. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, this Rutgers team will be built that it will need to win close games on the defensive side of the ball. That's really a great channel. You know, trademark, they're never really going to blow you out offensively. You're going to keep it tight. That's kind of what they did with Syracuse. Kept them tight, kept it a close game, and kind of were able to pull away. That's going to be the way Rutgers have to win. So being able to get to the quarterback and not let him get the ball in the hands of his playmakers, you know, Zay Flowers, uh, Patrick Arwell, these really good skill players they have, the skill players they have, if they can keep those guys out of open space and just contain the quarterback it'll give it'll give them a chance that's really vital i'd say to give them a chance to win that game and moving on after boston college obviously matchup with wagner and temple to close out the non-conference season um you know wagner getting a big payday to come play this game against Rutgers, and obviously the mat the lopsided matchup last year against temple should we expect kind of the same results in those two games this year should either team give Rutgers a challenge or should they move you know kind of get two victories there heading into big 10 play if either of them give Rutgers a challenge, I think that would sound the alarm bells around Piscataway. I agree. I, I figure Temple will be better. I mean, it's hard to be much worse than they were last year. Uh, but really, this should be a time for Rutgers to fine-tune itself, maybe play some young players and see how they fit, kind of have a competitive way of evaluating their roster um, and doing so without much worry of, you know, getting uh, of r- risking losing a game, really. Um, this non-conference schedule, the Boston College game is obviously huge, like you mentioned. I think, in, in in my view, it's absolutely mandatory to win that game to have any hope of a bowl bid. Um, and then if you lose either of Wagner or Temple, you have no shot in, in getting right. to a bowl game, obviously. So, um, yeah, I, I, again, to, to cut it short, if Wagner and Temple should be double-digit wins, that's, if they're not, then there might be some w- reason to worry in Piscataway, for sure. I agree, and that's kind of how you – like you said, get your feet wet, kind of get ready for those Big Ten games. And going into the Big Ten schedule, I'm not going to kind of, I'm not going to go um, in order week by week. Um, my next tier, kind of, to get this out of the way, is well, the top tier of you know Rutgers' schedule, which is very difficult when you look at Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. I put as the four teams that have obviously given Rutgers fits over the years, minus that victory in 2020 against Michigan State, but they've obviously improved since then. If you had to pick out a game there for Rutgers to compete in the best, to pull maybe pull an upset special. Of those four teams, is there a chance they could compete with any of the four? Ohio State is an absolute no. Zero, not a shot anywhere. Uh, they're going to be, for my money, the best team in the country. They have the best offense in the country. One of the best offenses in college football, potentially. In history, potentially. Uh, they're my national championship pick. Rutgers has no chance there. And, and again, we'll get through the rest of the schedule throughout this but if they're in a tough spot in that if Rutgers has a miraculous start to the season and they beat Boston College and then they host Iowa and with all the juice in the building they beat Iowa they're 4-0 they hit a brick wall in Ohio State that is a tough spot in the schedule for that uh, so that they have no chance there I mean that I think everyone agrees there um, Michigan is tough to tell how good they'll be 
Uh, they lose a lot from, from last year. They have a tricky quarterback situation, and they're coming to Piscataway. Rutgers played them really tough last year. It's impossible to really translate how they played there. To This year, a lot has changed, obviously, et cetera. But um, that's a potential spot, though I will say that it's a tricky spot on the schedule also. And Rutgers has three really important games leading into that Michigan game. Three games that I'm sure the coaching staff will emphasize as, I guess, quote unquote, winnable. They'll say all these games are winnable, obviously. But, you know, they play before Michigan, they play Nebraska, Indiana, and Minnesota. Those are three games Rutgers really could win and probably have to win to go to the bowl game. Uh, so that, that might be some fatigue there. But also, if we're going to go with that route, Michigan State, right after Michigan, that's, a, again, that's a lot of wear and tear there. Uh, Michigan State, I'm also not sure how sustainable their success is building it through the transfer portal. Sometimes it really hits like a hit last year. Who knows if he can keep doing that? Who knows if Mel Tucker, you know, Mel Tucker's been doing it for a year. He had a great year. Can he do it, sustain it? Uh, so maybe, you know, maybe there, they're going back to East Lansing for the first time since that game, possibly. And then Penn State, Rutgers always feels like it's right there. Like there was that year, that game, I think it was 2019, where Gio Rochino, I'm convinced if he catches that ball in the end zone on the uh, Philly special, they win that game. I'm convinced they would win that game. And they played them tough last time they went to uh, State College. It always feels like Rutgers is right there, and they can just taste the win over Penn State. I don't think it'll be this year. But I will, in perpetuity, until Rutgers beats Penn State, I just think there's, there's that, that's one game on the schedule that some, you know, tomfoolery can always happen with Rutgers. But uh, to, to, if I had to pick one game, I'd go with Michigan. But do I think they'll win any of them? If I had to bet on it, I'd probably think they're going 0-4. But crazy things happen in this sport. I want to touch on that Michigan State matchup a little because obviously it's going to be more difficult back on the road this year um, against, you know, a top 15 team that Michigan State's supposed to be. But the loss of Kenneth Walker, obviously Peyton Thorne's back, um, and Jalen Naylor is gone as well. But they returned Jaden Reed. So there's still a lot of talent on that Michigan State offense, but they're losing the, the two skill position players that really lit them up last year. It's not going to be easy to replace Walker, obviously, in that backfield, you know. But will that offense kind of have the same – will it have the same juice? You know, will Rutgers be able to maybe contain them a little bit and give the offense a chance? Sure. I mean, Kenneth Walker was, I mean, undisputably the best running back in college football last year, right? Unless I'm forgetting someone. Like you said, it's tough to replace that. So um, I would say, yes, Rutgers has a chance – a better chance than last year simply because Michigan State doesn't have as good players. Um, But – the change in venue definitely helps Michigan State. I don't know. But I do, I, I do think Michigan State is not anywhere near the level of Ohio State where it's like Rutgers has no chance. I do think there is clearly a chance there versus, you know, Ohio State. Yeah, it seems like the talent gap is is a, is a term that people use when talking about Michigan and Penn State, um, especially obviously Ohio State's on a different level, but when it comes to Rutgers. And, you know, going into my final tier of the three tiers, you have those games, the interesting games, the – the winnable games for Rutgers. And it really begins right away with Iowa. That's going to be the first road game for Iowa after their non-conference. Obviously, the the Big Ten opener for both teams. And when you look at Iowa, it's also a question mark under center, kind of like Rutgers, um, in terms of the quarterback battle. But they're going to be strong uh, defensively. So what we'll have to give there in terms of Iowa's defense against Rutgers' offense or vice versa for Rutgers to pull out a win in that game? Yeah, it'll be – I think – Rutgers will have the advantage of the home crowd. If they beat Boston College, I think that place is a chance of being really, really raucous. I think that will be the first like real big game since since Shadows come back. So that'll be that'll give them something. But as you mentioned, Iowa has two like all American level defensive players at one at linebacker, one at quarterback. Like that's a tough 
that's a tough team to beat defensively. Iowa always feels like they're in games that are like one score games throughout, but they're never able to pull away, but teams aren't ever able to really, you know, score on them. I think it'll be another one of those really close classic Big Ten battles. And uh, I just don't know if Rutgers offense has enough to beat that elite defense. Uh, I think it'll have to, Rutgers will have to be in a scenario where they score early and just hold on for dear life. I think that's the only way they can really win that game. Yeah, with Jack Campbell in the middle of that defense, it seems like Rutgers would have to kind of throw something at that team, especially they seem to always, like you mentioned, have that hard-nosed defense. Um, you know, whether it's running the ball or, you know, Vedral or Wimsett, whoever's going to be quarterback that game, um, what can Rutgers kind of do to keep them off balance? Is it, you know, sending guys downfield? Is it trying to do a couple trickery like we've seen in the past? It seems like lining up just one-on-one with a player like Jack Campbell especially, you know, won't work out too well. Yeah, that'll be a tough tough uh, linebacker crew to run at for sure. I think trickery, yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, Sean Gleason really flashed you know, some, some interesting things in that 2020 season that he went away from last year. If you pull some stuff out, some maybe some plays he's been saving, maybe, you know, like you said, maybe if you use Gavin Wimsett behind center and use his legs in some way, some motion, you know, something different. Because if you go to the classic eye formation, run the ball on first down, throw the ball, like, I just don't think, I think that's playing right into Iowa's strengths. Uh, so something different, uh, absolutely for sure. I would agree with you there. And looking at the next into the Nebraska game, um, obviously Adrian Martinez gone, who also ran all over Rutgers last time they played. Casey Thompson comes in, taking over as quarterback. This feels like another game that Rutgers will definitely have to win if they want a chance at that six-win mark. And obviously Scott Frost entering the season on the hot seat, this seems like it could kind of be the loss for him as well. If Nebraska loses this game to Rutgers, that might push him over the edge as well. Yeah, absolutely. This is I, If he's still the head coach at that point, Rutgers could be the reason he gets fired, absolutely. Because unless he's starting off 4-0 or 5-0 or whoever it is, which seems unlikely, I, his seat is absolutely scorching. I, I, I don't have the exact date, but I do know at some point in the season his buyout drops significantly. Uh, it might be right around the Rutgers game, so that's another. Uh, but to that point, like he's going to be absolutely desperate to win that game. And it's tough to tell how his team will be. Will his team be, you know, fighting tooth and nail to defend their coach? Will they be kind of just giving up on the season? It's tough to tell until we get around that point. But that could be kind of an emotional uh, boost for, for Rutgers, which is coming off a game against Ohio State where they're really going to be hungry to play a game against the equal strength opponent. Um, yeah, they had an interesting a few last games, right? They played a, uh, that extra game in 2020 uh, yeah. at the end of the year. Um that was really close. That was the, the game where I think Christian Izian had that crazy one-handed catch interception in the end zone. Um, but yeah, yeah Nebraska, Nebraska ran away with that one, I think, in the fourth quarter or something like that. Right, right. Nebraska brought in a lot of new guys, and they have a former Rutgers guy in Travis Volkolek. Um, so it's going to be a matter of will everybody they brought in be able to mesh together and create a, a season? Again, it's kind of like Michigan State. The transfer portal thing is it's hit or miss. So will they hit, will they miss? It's tough to tell at this point. But I agree that it is a game Rutgers has to win. On Friday night, you got to win this game if you want to go to a bowl game, for sure. And like you mentioned, having everything kind of gel together, you know, Rutgers is seeing that obviously with the offensive line right now, but especially with a new quarterback, um, with Casey Thompson being brought in, losing Adrian Martinez, who was such a big part of that team, it's not going to be easy. And uh, Nebraska is one of those teams that, like you mentioned, they compete, they're there, but they've had trouble winning games. So it will be interesting to see if Rutgers could take advantage of that. And, you know, Indiana is another team where, after the season they had last year, and again, you, you Connor Bazelak coming in to be the quarterback, this this was a laugher on the schedule for Rutgers last year, which they don't get a lot of. This seems like another game they really have to win to get to that six wins. Yeah, and Indiana's a team that, I mean, they're probably never 
going to be as good. I, mean, I shouldn't say never, but it's unlikely they get as good as they were two years ago again. But I highly doubt they'll be as bad as they were last year. Last year was was a, just an anomaly, right? I I, I can't imagine Rutgers going to win forty two nothing again. Um, but it's another. This is another team in their division that they're fighting to become a bowl game, a bowl team against. Um, it's a crucial matchup. But we've we've said a long time that as Rutgers climbs the ladder of the Big Ten, they start at the bottom. Now they're climbing. They have to win games against teams like Indiana, like Maryland, that are in the same realm to really be able to kind of take it to the next level. So if they could beat Indiana two years in a row, build some momentum there, learn from the basketball side of things. Um, that would be huge. Yes. Again, like this, this corridor, this Nebraska, Indiana, Minnesota corridor is just, it's, it's not the season, but massively important to the bowl game um, goal. And it'll be interesting to see too, in that specific game against Indiana, you know, who plays better at the quarterback position, because if you look at the big 10, you know, there's not many rankings where you'll, where you'll see Rutgers quarterback room kind of up there with, you know, many other teams. But I feel like Indiana is that team that they're kind of, you know, neck and neck with when it comes to the quarterback. So is that game as simple as, you know, who turns the ball over, who doesn't, um, who gets the running game going, who plays better, you know, along the defensive line, or is there something other that these quarterbacks can do to win the game or will it be the other intangibles? I will, I will refer guess the latter until I kind of see one who will be behind center uh, for, for Rutgers and for both teams. And two, you know, if it's no eventually you kind of know what you get. If it's Gavin Wims at, I don't know. I don't know if he can. Is is he at a point where he can, you know, win a game for Rutgers? I, I don't know yet. You know, that's kind of something uh, to be seen. Uh, but I, I I reckon that at that point in the schedule, you know, that leading to that week, we'll know where we stand. But until at this juncture, I really couldn't. I really wouldn't be able to tell you. Moving on to the Minnesota game, obviously um, Rutgers on the road in this one. This is one I loosely have in interesting winnable games because I don't feel like Minnesota is on the level, obviously, of Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, but it seems like they're still a step ahead of Rutgers heading into this season with a lot of experience, a lot of talent coming back. Um, on the road in this one, you know, Rutgers, what do you give them kind of chances here? They'll probably be big underdogs. Um, this doesn't seem like necessarily a game they have to win, but is it one they could win? I would, that's a perfect way of categorizing it. Um, Minnesota has some experience at quarterback. They have some strength on, at the skill positions. They have a great running back. Um, but I, the, the one thing I will say is the emotional factor of, uh, you know, this will be his second time Greg Channel faces his protege. He's going to face Jeff Halfley at Boston College. He's going to face PJ Fleck and a lot of Rutgers guys at Minnesota. Uh, maybe this is a game that he has circled on his calendar for that reason. Um, the emotional toll that could uh, boost Rutgers. But yes, I would say on the field, Minnesota is talented. They're a lot further on their build than Rutgers is. Obviously, they've they've battled. They've almost won the Big Ten West under PJ Fleck. They're going to be contenders in the Big Ten West again. I really think they're a sleeper pick for that division. Um, but uh, I, I again, I would say I would agree with you that of all the winnable games, quote unquote, I would say it's the least winnable or the, the hardest one for Rutgers to win. Um, but I certainly do think it's a game that Rutgers could steal. Interesting you say they could steal it. That's uh, on the road, too, especially. Maybe if, if Minnesota kind of plays down a little bit. Because, like you said, it's important to have quarterback, wide receiver, running back. I feel like if you have a, a above-average player at all of those positions, you're going to be in most games. And when you look at Minnesota, obviously Tanner Morgan, um, Chris Altman-Bell on the outside, and Mo Ibrahim's returning from his injury, who's going to be – who looked like he was lighting up Ohio State last year before he got hurt. Um mm -hmm. I feel like he's going to be the key in that game. 
um, the defensive line and the linebackers would have to step up in that game to slow him down if Rutgers wanted any chance to win that one. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm curious to see how he looks coming off that injury. I believe it was an Achilles, which is always a yeah. really tricky injury to come back from. So uh, I think we'll tell from the early games of the season how he looks. But yeah, before he got hurt, he was potentially one of the best running backs in the Big Ten. So if he gets back to that level, that's going to be a long, tough day uh, for Rutgers. And, you know, finally, the Maryland game, which now this is the third year in a row that these two <coughs> have played in the final week of the season. They're scheduled to play in the final week of the season. How do you feel about this matchup kind of turning into that rivalry game in the last week of the season between Rutgers and Maryland? Yeah, I think it's perfect. I think uh, I think Cratch said a few years ago that we need the Turnpike Trophy or something to that effect. It's just it's it's the most natural rivalry that can emerge from this. They're they both entered the Big Ten at the same time. I would say they're probably roughly at the same level at this point. They recruit a lot of the same areas. I, I think it's like the mo- perfectly natural. It's not forced at all whatsoever. It's it's the the best possible rivalry, and I think that it should become official by the Big Ten. It should be marked and every year should it should happen the same day as the games, the same day as all the other rivalries. You know, forty to sixteen last year, sour taste in Rutgers fans' mouths, especially both teams going in at five and six, fighting for that bowl spot. Obviously Rutgers was let in um, you know, eight days before the game. This is never a game that I give uh, Maryland a huge edge. I feel like both teams could beat each other any given year, you know, no matter the field. We've seen both road teams the past two years win the game. But with Tagovailoa back under center, obviously, I feel like Maryland might be a bit better than they were last year. Do you think that's fair to say? You know, is this a game where Maryland might have a slight edge as we look at it now on August 19th? Yeah, I mean, Maryland looked infinitely more athletic than Rutgers last year when they played. And they have, like you said, they have a, a returning quarterback that's proven, that's more experienced. Uh, and a lot of people had him as the second best quarterback in the Big Ten uh, after C.J. Stroud. I, I don't know if he's he's that good, but he's, he's a solid quarterback that most FBS teams would gladly start. And they have Rakeem Jarrett on the outside, who has potential to be the best non-Ohio State wide receiver in the league. The kid is absolutely explosive. I, I am very excited to see that matchup between him and Max Melton, who could be one of the best cornerbacks in the Big Ten. That'll be great. Um, and it's just a matter of Rutgers can, if Rutgers can keep up with the speed, the athleticism that Maryland has on in the skill positions, because last year it was just night and day that, that uh, competition. And to add to um, the points you mentioned earlier, there's some of that bad blood from, I believe it was last year, right? The, the Noah Vedral injury where they – uh, one of the the or was that two years ago? The Maryland defensive lineman twisted Noah Vedral's ankle. Do you know what I'm talking about? That was in 2020, I believe. Okay, the, my my timeline is all messed up. That that was a storyline for last year then. But my point being, yes, uh, it, 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 the, the biggest thing for me is just the athleticism on the skill positions. That's going to be the key. That'll be another interesting point to see if Rutgers can kind of, you know, last game of the season they'll have to gel. They'll have to. They should have their feet under him by then. But of course, that didn't help him last year. So it would. Uh, it would be wouldn't be surprising to see if they don't um, match up well once again. You mentioned the athleticism. Um, is that something that the wide receiver additions for Rutgers could be in Taj Harris and Sean Ryan? And I'll even throw Aaron Krukshek in there because he was obviously injured before that uh, Maryland game. Is that something that they could kind of provide in this matchup? Taj Harris is a very refined wide receiver. He 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 looks apart. I I don't know if his speed was his main attribute at Syracuse. And I don't believe it was Sean Ryan's either. They're, they're more uh, big body types, but I definitely agree with Aaron Cruikshank. And it seems like, you know, they took a flyer on Fitzroy Legister out of uh, St. Peter's prep. It's not a kid that necessarily is going to, you know, compete th- in play this season, but I mean, just the philosophy of wanting to get faster, wanting to get kids who are more athletic. I think that's uh, a crucial and, and something that they're trying to focus on uh, in those positions. Um, 
and one thing about the Maryland game I forgot to mention, it, it, I see no scenario whatsoever where Rutgers goes into that game bowl eligible. I think the best case scenario is they have five wins going into that game, and if they do, then again, it'll be a replay of last season. Like you mentioned, that didn't really help them last season, given how it played out, but that could be another element going into that game. Uh, but if they obviously, if they have four wins or less, it doesn't really make a difference. No, final question. You just kind of touched on your answer a bit. You said best case scenario, they could go into that Maryland game um, you know, with five wins. After looking at the schedule, we've obviously all studied for months. We've looked at it. How many? What is your final record prediction if you had to make a, a rough estimate on how many games you think Rutgers will win out of this schedule? Yeah, we, I'm still finalizing my. We have to write our previews uh, this week. We're still. I'm still finalizing my exact record record prediction. I would say worst case scenario, absolute worst case scenario is two wins. I don't think that's probably going to happen. I think. Rutgers will find a win outside of Wagner and Temple. I think realistic worst-case scenario is three wins. I think uh, most realistic scenario in general is four. And then the best, absolute best-case scenario is five wins. I just I just can't see a scenario where Rutgers gets the six wins in the schedule unless they are vastly better uh, than anyone could reasonably predict. Um, they would have to be surprisingly good uh, or have you know a player emerge that no one expected. I just don't see the six-win mark hitting the season. I think this is the year... The way I see it is really the year before the year. I think next year is really the year where, you know, you put your cards on the table. I think this year is going to be more of a developmental year. If they get to five wins, I think that would be phenomenal for Rutgers. I really do think it would be a successful year. And if you get to six wins, you throw a party in Piscataway that lasts for, you know, a week. I think I really do think it's it would be that, uh, that crazy, really. Brian, thank you again for joining me today. I appreciate the time and going over the schedule. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. Always happy to do it. Thank you again to Brian Fonseca of NJ Advance Media for joining me for that great interview breaking down the schedule. And again, I mentioned this is something that we've all been doing for months now since the schedule first came out. And it's something we're going to continue to do just with results. You know, if Rutgers beats Boston College, we'll still predict the rest of the schedule. If they lose, we'll try and find another victory for them to get to that six-win mark. But like we talked about at length, this is a difficult schedule. And it begins with the non-conference. This game against Boston College is obviously tougher than anything they did last year. Um, And, of course, 2020, Shiano's first year back, wasn't all Big Ten schedule. This game against Boston College is harder in ways that you're playing a national you know, level quarterback. You're playing a potential NFL quarterback in Phil Jerkovich, who played, I believe it was five games last year, missing some time with an injury. You're playing a quarterback who is out with something to prove. He comes back and he's kind of like that Kenny Pickett story when you look at what he did at Pitt. Um, prospect was really able to turn it on his last year. Now, that's not saying Jerkovich will, will play to that level and turn into a first round quarterback, but he has this. Boston College team and the city as a whole believing so that's a difficult road but still you're you're all but guaranteed two victories in the non-conference schedule so you have to put together four in the Big Ten which is an extremely difficult feat with the schedule that they've put together you know we don't really need to discuss Ohio State or you know any teams like that um even Michigan, even though the matchups with Michigan have been interesting, they've been one-score games the past two years with that triple overtime thriller in 2020. And, of course, last year, Rutgers really going in and giving them a tough game in the big house in that pre- in that uh, Big Ten opener. Excuse me. But this seems like a different Michigan team after last year especially. They're going to want to build on the success. They have the experience coming back at quarterback. We discussed Michigan State and what they could bring, but the Penn State matchup is one that's 
the talent gap, that's one that has to frustrate Rutgers because the talent gap between them and Penn State has proven to be large really no matter what. And 2020 was a perfect example where Penn State began the season 0-5. They kind of threw it in, finished 4-5, won the last four games, but they started 0-5. They were beatable that year. And they went to Rutgers and really took it to that offense especially. I believe beat them 23-7. And then last year... It was a 28-0 game. Rutgers hasn't scored double-digit points against Penn State since 2014. And that's kind of hard to believe when you look at uh, – this isn't saying Rutgers is a powerhouse, but when you look at any team really, you know, that's hard to believe that a team can't put up 10 points against somebody, and that's just the talent level that that defense has had um, against Rutgers in those years. So those matchups are going to be difficult. And if you put those four as losses, you got to find four victories somewhere else, assuming you lose to Penn, uh, to Boston College. That that's going to be the huge swing game on the schedule. So, continuing into those swing games, the the game against Indiana, the game against Nebraska, those have to be victories because those are teams that Rutgers is comparable to. You know, especially at quarterback, Casey Thompson transferring in for Nebraska, and and Connor Bay's like taking over at Indiana. New quarterbacks, new systems, two teams that really have a lot to prove this season and Nebraska especially with Scott Frost being on the hot seat and then of course that Maryland game at the end is one that is going to give Rutgers fans a fit if they perform like they did last year but the fact of the matter is Maryland is going to be an improved team mainly because of Tagovailoa being back but they're going to be an improved team in all ways you heard Brian discuss the athleticism of the team as a whole and just another year together and bringing the quarterback back, they took it to Rutgers last year, putting up 40 points in Piscataway, a game that both teams needed to get to a bowl game, to get to that sixth win. And Rutgers, you know, laid the egg that they did um, in that Saturday following Thanksgiving. That's not that encouraging going into that game. So if you're at that five-win mark, again, which seems like a difficult task, you can't feel too confident going into that Maryland game. And that is, it seems like it's turning into the rivalry game for Rutgers in the Big Ten. So that's one that's going to sting once again for Rutgers if they perform like they did last year. I will have a more in-depth breakdown of the schedule on, on the banks as well prior to the season. But looking at the schedule, getting to that six win mark, I think it's going to be about either Boston College or Iowa to begin the Big Ten schedule because say Rutgers beats Wagner, beats Temple like they're supposed to, and say they beat Nebraska and Indiana, I think those are games that there's never Rutgers isn't at the point where they could just roll the helmet out and go win a ball game, but those are two games that they have to win or else you need two victories somewhere else that you're not supposed to get. So that's four wins right there. The Iowa or Boston College game would give you a chance going into Maryland because that would give them five wins. And Iowa, despite their hot start last year, they're not world beaters. Their defense is strong with Jack Campbell and Riley Moss, but this is a team that is going to struggle to score some points. They're going to try and beat you on defense. And this isn't saying Rutgers can match up defensively. This is saying that a low-scoring ball game bodes better for Rutgers than you know a 40-50 point shootout where they're going to have to keep up if Rutgers can be in a game that's mucked up early that's ugly it's in the trenches that's going to be something that you know works well for them and 
that might sound strange considering, you know, the offense, the new offensive line, the banged up offensive line. They're going to have to gel, especially with the strong front of Iowa. But I'm looking more offensively in this one as to where Iowa isn't going to run away scoring, you know, 40 points in the first half on them and making Rutgers score to keep up. That's a game that they could be there at the end to potentially steal. And then obviously we discussed Boston College, but if they're able to win one of those games, win their two in non-conference, and then handle business against Nebraska and Indiana, that will give them a chance against Maryland at five and five and six going into that Maryland game to see if they could do what they didn't do last year, and that is win the final game to get to six and six. Because the rest of the schedule, you know, they're not going to beat Ohio State. They're not going to beat Michigan. It would be really surprising to see them win a game against Michigan State or Penn State. And then that Minnesota game, which, again, it seems winnable, but it's kind of on the cusp of, of winnable and not. Minnesota is not a top team like the other main four on the Rutgers schedule, but they have the talent at all positions to really handle Rutgers. Um, when they need to on their home field, you know, Tanner Morgan, obviously, and and Mo Ibrahim coming back from that injury. It doesn't seem like a good matchup for Rutgers, you know, maybe steal that game, but on the road is definitely a factor, and it doesn't seem like a good spot for them. So this schedule seems like, you know, a four and eight year for Rutgers. Again, I'll finalize that in the upcoming week, but this seems like a four and eight year and kind of get Gavin Wimsat more experience and really hand him the job in 2023. Um, the difficulty of this schedule is really the main factor here when looking at the season as a whole. Um, this isn't to say that they can't surprise some people winning game they're not supposed to, and that doesn't mean that they're not going to lose games that they're not supposed to. They could, you know, they could lose these Big Ten games, you know, especially to teams like Nebraska and Indiana, you know, programs that they are. Um, but those are ones they're going to have to steal if they want a chance at the end against Maryland. That is all we have to you for you today on the On the Banks podcast. Thank you once again to Brian Fonseca of NJ Advanced Media, and thank you to all you guys out there for listening. We'll be back at you next Tuesday with a preview of the Boston College game. Yes, we're getting closer. We're a week and a half away, and next week we could finally preview some football that actually matters. And then beginning the following week, We're going to begin two podcasts per week, Tuesday and most likely Thursday as we Thursday or Friday, depending as we continue to preview the upcoming opponents while recapping the game that had just happened. Because, you know, football, you got to talk about as much as you can. You got to enjoy the weeks that there are. There's not many of them. So we got and it goes quickly. So we got to enjoy all of them. So until next week, you've been listening to the On the Banks podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to the On The Banks podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search On The Banks.